Tonight, our main speaker is Aaron from Hemet. My name is Aaron. I'm a lot of things, but one of the main things that I'm glad I am is a grateful alcoholic. Look, um, before I get started, I want to make sure I let you know, I'm standing up here half a man right now. I just flew almost from the other side of the world to keep this commitment because I believe in that tradition number five. You know, uh, I, my primary purpose is to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous every opportunity I get, and I take it very serious um, because these rooms and you people saved my life. Um, so I get really emotional when it comes down to people not following directions, um, not, not working a program of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, in, a, in a balanced way with the steps and the traditions because they work together. But my clean date um, is 05-18-1992. I took my chip here um, from the direction of my sponsor uh, this year. May 18th of this year, I took my chip, um, my 28 years here. Um, and it was my first time coming to these room, this room. Um, and, and I'm glad I followed his instructions to come here because it got me another invite to come and share my experience, strength, and hope uh, with you tonight. Um, I had a sponsee that was supposed to bring uh, seven newcomers. And, you know, I'm feeling some type of way right now because he didn't follow direction. But I'm going to get out of feeling that way, and I'm going to bring you uh, how it was, how I got here, and what I'm doing today. So I was seven years old. I grew up in a home of a lieutenant commander, uh, fighter pilot, army. And, you know, immediately the culture was country club beer all over the house uh, when my dad was home, black boots and fatigues. Um, but unbeknownst to me, at six and seven years old, I didn't know that, you know, when you drop a glass, uh, pieces shatter everywhere. And that's what happened to my life at seven years old. Um, I began to drink those little cans of country club beer. And uh, you know, I like Gloria. I wanna thank you too, Gloria, for coming, um, being available, bringing a, a dynamic message of hope. Um, I'd like to also thank Nisha for, um, you know, making a recommendation that I come here. So the fragments of my life fell apart early. Um, at seven years old, I, you know, I can't really tell you uh, everything that came apart, but I do know I acquired a taste for alcohol. And in acquiring that taste, I went through junior high school, um, hiding out from chemistry class, biology class, um, drinking MD 2020 um, behind the dumpsters uh, at school. And I would go into my fourth and fifth period uh, lit up. But it was funny, 
I was able to function. Um, and I graduated with honors in the, in the 11th grade. I, ne I never I had to go to the 12th grade. And, you know, segueing from high, junior high, high school, I kept drinking. And, you know, I was a Rhodes Scholar for about two years. I started drinking Coke 45, uh, the, the big bottles, the, the 32 ounces. And, you know, I would drink those with all the other alcoholics who didn't know that they were alcoholics because I didn't know I was one. I just liked what alcohol did for me. But it wasn't until I got to Syracuse University and I saw that alcohol was really good. Uh, and, and it was fun because I joined the sorority. And, you know, <laughs> I got to drinking the bongs and playing uh, the, the little balls in the cups and you drink all the beer and you know you you just drink everything was drink 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 and get high get throw up um pants falling off um wake up um pissy pants um you know and i was pissy pants when i was a, a little boy and I, I my parents couldn't figure out why i was pissing so much but uh, nobody knew that i was drinking country clubs so much and they they called me the little whale that couldn't, uh, and, and I couldn't get up to use the bathroom, and, and they took me to the doctor, and the, and the doctor told him, I don't know what's wrong with him, his kidneys are functioning at a normal level, a, a normal rate, um, but I knew what was going on, uh, seven, eight, nine, pissing in the bed, um, high, getting up for school, needed a can of beer. And like I said, my dad was a, a, a fighter pilot, I mean a helicopter pilot, and he kept beer. The culture was drink in the military. The culture was drink. And so they drank and I drank. Um, and I had my brothers, my siblings, they drank. Um, and, and, and you know, um, at 16, I watched my middle brother um, die from alcoholism. And he took someone else's life um, too. And so that wasn't enough. Um, like I said, I, I took that memory and that trauma to college with me um, and you know I drank more because I had that memory in my head um, didn't understand um, alcoholic I didn't understand what alcoholism was and nobody was around me to tell me what it was because everybody was like me an alcoholic and so um, leaving college I'm going straight to the military because I was ROTC, so I went to school, college, while I pulled duty at this base in New York, Staten Island. Um, and I finished my Bachelor of Science degree in three and a half years. And it was funny, alcohol gave me, uh, you know, a, 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 a better rush on achieving things. You know, I was able to excel at stuff um, for a long time, especially things related to education, because if I didn't, I had a drunk dad that would kill me. So I had to perform, and so I did. Um, and I think the fear of, of knowing that if I didn't perform I, well academically, this drunk man that I loved so much was gonna do something to me because I watched him in his drunkness. Um, require us to do things uh, as kids um, that, that were equal to what grown folks were supposed to do.
And, you know, but I didn't know that that was abuse. And I don't think he knew either because he kept drinking Johnny Walker, um, 12 packs, 24 packs of beer every day when he would come home in his black boots and fatigues. So I had a good tutor on how to drink and the allergy had taken full effect of my young life. And I watched people get hurt, I watched people die, I watched my mother get battered and beat because she would always try to hide this stuff from my father. And I watched these things as a young man and I segued into my adult life with those traumatic memories that made me drink more and more and more. And so leaving college, I went to the USS Enterprise as a regular sailor. And uh, after going around the world for two years, uh, I was asked to become an elite member of a team um, of men that are trained to die, not live, um, so that we could protect the freedoms of this beautiful nation we live in. And so when they asked me to do that, I was drunk when they came. I had just, I had just been out, I, you know, look, I was out in Singapore and I was drunk. I was on Liberty. I had the green card. It was my night to be out for two nights and I took advantage of it. I got back to the boat late, my Dixie cup sideways, my little tie thing was backwards and you know, I'll get to the quarter deck and they said, Salute the flag, and I'm, the flag is over here, and I'm this way, and you know, <laughs> I'm trying to pull it together, and they tell me, the chief, the master chief tell me, hey, take him downstairs and give him some coffee, sober him up, because he got the first watch, and the people, there are some people here to see Pratt. Uh, bring yourself together, pull yourself together, get your gig line right, and I said, okay. So these, these guys came down, a captain, a major, and a lieutenant, and they said, hey, um, um, at that time, I was a petty officer, second class. He says, second class, uh, I want to talk to you. I said, well, what do you want? And he says, I want to know if you want to go to Bud's training. And I said, what is Bud's training? He says, so he says, let's we set up a projector up here on the flight deck. I want you to uh, take a look at this team of men. And I'm, these guys going in the water and jumping out of the helicopters. And I'm like, man, who wants to do that? And then, you know, I, and, but all in my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna say yes right now so I can go to sleep and get up and do this duty and go back and drink. Cause that's the culture I was in. Every, you know, a sailor is not a sailor if he's not drunk, you know? And I learned to become a sailor quick. Um, and I was told that um, the higher in rank you go, the more you need to drink. And I'm like, wow, well that's fun, okay, let's get to drinking. And let's get to taking these tests. But that wasn't the lot that um, they had planned for me. I didn't have a plan. You know, I know I had a degree and I could have became an officer, but I had an officer in my home and I, I, I didn't like his conduct. I knew that I wasn't as drunk as I thought I was. I knew that I didn't want to be what my father was to me at that time. And so I turned down OCD, I mean, Officer Candidate School, and uh, I took the offer to become a Navy SEAL. And I got to Bud's training, and it was only 12 
uh, Afro-American men uh, on this beach. And I'm looking around and I'm like, this doesn't look friendly. I need a drink, right? And so, so you know, uh, but you know, I, I took the initiation and uh, yes, as usual, we drank. Uh, all night we drank and we came back, uh, got an hour or two sleep and then we put our boots on and they said it's time to eat. And you know, we get the food and you know, what you don't get to finish eating, you scrape in a, in a barrel and you start running and you pick up these telephone poles and you do all this extra stupid stuff. But now I know it wasn't stupid because at the end of it all, after nine campaigns of being drunk, um, serving the country, I found out that all that training was necessary, but it wasn't enough to stop me from drinking. Um, and I saw more trauma in each combat mission that I went on, and I began to drink more and more. I found ways to get alcohol on the battlefield uh, in every village that I went to serve um, my mission in. The one thing that we commandeered first after securing our mission was alcohol, and we would drink after we finished our mission, waiting to be extracted to go back to the ship. And now when we got home, we drank more and more and more. And it wasn't until um, 15 and a half years had passed, um, the young man that was still a broken fragments of glass um, everywhere without the knowledge of having, uh, knowing that he was an alcoholic, um, my alcoholism led me to prison. Um, I lost two children while I was serving the country, and it made me drink more. And in that stupor, uh, while I was on my little 16 year, uh, I started rebelling, and the Navy said, hey, you know what, you, we gotta get you some help. And so that's when I got my help. But I spent two years in the brig, uh, in a military brig, and I had to ask permission to use the bathroom. I had to walk a red line and I had to eat bread and water for a year. And, you know, um, I did that for two years in Leavenworth, you know, and um, because I ran over another sailor uh, on the base coming from the club drunk. And, um, but that didn't convince me that I had enough because I didn't have these rooms and I didn't have people um, from these rooms at that time. All I had was a culture of drunks who believed that these things happened and it was natural for me to be this way because they all had been through that themselves while they were wearing the flag on their left shoulder and the triton on their right chest. They said it was okay. And um, leaving the Navy after not being able to pull it together, I left and um, I went, became a civilian. I began living among you, and I was still fragments and pieces of glass, broken and not knowing what was wrong with me. Um, I came home and I kept trying to get jobs, general dynamics. Um, I worked at NASA for 18 months, you know, um, because like I said, I, was, uh, I went to school to do aerodynamics and chemical engineering, but I couldn't stop drinking. I couldn't keep a family, I couldn't keep a job, 
I couldn't keep a house. I couldn't keep a home. I made babies that I, I couldn't raise um, because I couldn't stop drinking. And my drinking led me into other riotous behavior. And I was like, the, like the text says, you know, we're like men who have lost our legs. We never grow new ones. And that was true for me. I never grew new legs. I just kept losing myself. And you know, it wasn't until 1992 when I paroled from ADX, Colorado, Supermax prison after serving 10 years. Um, and because of the relativeness of the traditions, I won't make comment on why I went to prison because it's not alcohol uh, related, but I served those 10 years in a supermax prison. And um, you know, when I came home, uh, while I was in that prison, I didn't have contact with anybody because during the first year, I got challenged a lot. Um, in that type of prison setting, um, skin plays an important role. And if you can't survive, then you just can't survive. Well, I chose survival, but the people that were asking me to choose survival didn't know I was a combat-ready man who didn't mind doing things to you to protect myself. And then and in doing that, I got more time. I served two more years. So I, you know, find myself 12 years into the penal system. And then I came home. And um, when I came home, the pieces of my life began to come back together because it was then that I found at the VA hospital, um, Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was introduced to a senior chief who killed his whole family because of alcoholism. He burned his family alive because he fell asleep one night after drinking a fifth of vodka and he knocked over a kerosene lantern. And when he told me that story, it broke my heart and it made me realize I needed to start putting these shattered pieces of my life back together because I too had lost some people I loved and the trauma started coming back. But it was him that said, you don't ever have to drink again. Everything alcohol told you you could get, sobriety will give it to you now. And it wasn't until I believed in someone else's story and I heard their story and I saw the trauma and the tears coming out this man's heart. And he said, I wanna help you. You can live a life without alcohol. And I said, how? He said, it's in the pages of this book. And he showed me. He worked with me. I said, I, I just don't know what to do. He said, the first thing we need to do is turn the, your will and the care of your life over to a God that you understand. He said, and I said, I said, well, you know, I, I know a God. But he never stopped the problems when I would pray to him. He said, well, this is a different a concept. I want to introduce you to Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, we're going to work these steps. And I stayed on step one for a whole year with this man. This man would come to my apartment. He would show me day in and day out how to go to meetings. He would show me how to get in service. 
He said, the one thing we need to learn to do before we go any further in these steps is to get you active. We need to get you ready, mission ready. I said, he brought Alcoholics Anonymous to me and made it, made it relevant based off of my training as a military man. And that's when it started clicking to me. And he said, this is what someone did for me. And he introduced me to his sponsor. And his sponsor was 80 years old with 40 years sobriety. And, and he became my sponsor, you know, and he was 63 years old with 29 years sobriety. And I, I got into a family of sobriety and it was from these rooms. I mean, I'm talking about trailers with no windows, white knuckle sobriety is what it was. It was like, we don't do anything in here but alcoholic, alcohol anonymous related service. I'm looking at these people, I'm like, man, these people got beers. They got, they not, they not, they not, they just didn't look normal to me. I'm like, how do, how do you have so much joy? And you hugging all on me and you shaking my hand and you giving me money to pay my bills because you believe in me. And I'm like, what is this? And he said, it's called out the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, get over there and make coffee. I didn't even know how to make a pot of coffee. With all the education I had, I had never made coffee. I learned to make coffee. I told you the last time I was here, I think it was like 1,278 pots in the 28 years that I've been sold. That's how many pots of coffee. It's probably 1,500 now, because I've been making coffee every day since I took my chip two, three times a day and working a 10-hour job and going to four meetings and sponsoring 20 people. No, service oriented. I flew to England and I spoke to alcoholics in the most violent prison in England. This program of Alcoholics Anonymous said, hey, you have a message we wanna pay for you to go and give hope to other people. I'm like, man, we in England? Yeah. So I got a job. It's okay. We'll talk to your job. Give me your supervisor's number. I'm like, wow. And it happened. Yeah, it happened. And, and in December, I'm taking another trip to Moscow. And you know it's alcoholics there. And this, this is, it's a, I'm going to Moscow to carry a message of experience, strength, and hope to help youth, though. This is the thing about it, and I did three events this, just in, since Thursday. I flew out of here Thursday, I, I landed Friday, got off the plane, went straight to work. Um, why am I telling you that? If you knew, got less than a year, and you in here and you wondering, when is the miracle gonna happen? The miracle happened already, you here. You're in this room, in the fellowship. People in this room know that they have one, one mission, and that's to carry the message to the alcoholic that still suffers. That's the mission. If you in here on some dumb stuff, you in here as a female, you beef rustling, or you in here as a man and you pussycat chasing, you're not working the steps or the traditions. You, you in here on something else, and I call it shenanigans. And shenanigans is not in here. 
It's not in the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. I lost my wife uh, September 24, 2018. And you know, I, try, I, I, I was a pastor. I just resigned because I got tired of the shenanigans. See, I told you when I started, I believe in this message. I believe in these rooms and I believe in you. You know, and when I get around mess, I've been so matured and put my life, Alcoholics Anonymous has put my life back together in a way that it's almost cement. I breathe this program and I don't do well when I get around shenanigans and I see uh, the verdangling that goes on and the compromise. I am committed to sobriety. I'm committed to sobriety. And I'm not committed to sobriety because it's letting me wear nice clothes or live in a decent house. None of that. I work for that stuff. But this is the program that has taught me how to go to work now, how to be a professional. I'm a professional recovering alcoholic. I'm not a professional substance abuse counselor. That's not first. I'm not a professional mental health specialist. That's not first. I am a professional, tradition-keeping, principle-seeking, step-taking, service-oriented alcoholic that's grateful to be sober one more day, one more hour, one more minute, one thought away from doing stupid stuff in these rooms is a compromise that's one day gonna lead to me drinking. Say, how you know that, Aaron? Because I lost a sponsor with 42 years and a thought from the shenanigans and not working this program with every breath. I wanna be sober as bad as I wanna breathe. For real. I wanna stay sober as bad as I wanna breathe. And I see people that say, I want to be successful better as I want to breathe. No, I don't, want, I don't want to be successful with material stuff. I don't want to be successful chasing dumb stuff. Uh, you know, I, you know, sex, um, cars, uh, clothes, um, relationships that don't work. I don't, I don't, I'm not into that. Because these rules, these steps have taught me that one thing for sure, if you stay in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and you commit yourself to this, these traditions, these principles, these steps, you stay in service, that or what your God or your understanding has for you, it will materialize. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but it will always materialize. And it's only going to materialize as effectively as you serve someone else. Your sobriety is not wrapped up in you just being sober. You need to work with the guy or the woman on the right or the left, in the front or the back of you. There are kids who need their mothers and fathers back. If you in this room, you sober tonight, what step is you on? What's your plan to work the program of Alcoholics Anonymous when you leave this room? 
What are you going to take away from this room tonight that you can apply to wherever step you're working right now? I say it again. Sobriety has given me everything that alcohol told me I could have. I have more fun today taking care of my grandchildren. I have more fun today getting out, going to a six o'clock meeting. I have more fun today finding a meeting near my job, going into my lunch break to a meeting. You know, give me a bag of carrots, some zucchinis, and a bottle of water, and I get to a meeting. And then when I come back, I don't tell nobody I went to a meeting. I show them I'm a meeting. I become an attraction to those I'm around. And they ask me, what is it that you have that I see I know I want? Because they see now they stop beef rustling. You know, now they stop trying to chase me for the wrong reason. And then I have the attention and I can tell them about these 12 steps and these 12 traditions. I can tell them about you. I can give them the address to a room of Alcoholics Anonymous and I can give them hope. I can take them to a place where they can hear a message of hope and they can stop drinking, they can stop misbehaving, they can stop this thinking, thinking. Because see, it's the thinking too. That's why you have to be committed to work in this program. You need to crack that book. You need to do devotions, meditations. You need to do service. You need to do prayer. It's in the book. But you can't get it if you don't open the book. My name is Aaron, and I'm a grateful alcoholic.